0: Good morning. Hope you guys are doing well. Hey, uh, I have some um, participation for uh, you adults in here and you guys online as well. So um, how many of you guys have ever taken a foreign language in school? Okay. Uh, online, you can type these things in, but on, out here, how many, what, what are the different languages we're talking about? Spanish, French, German, kind of the standard, anything kind of... Whoa, there you go. Okay, we got Italian going on. Anything else? Kind of, okay. Sometimes you get like this one that, you know, overachiever that took like Chinese or something. You know, you'll have something crazy going on there. Hey, how many of you guys have ever been, have you ever spent an extended time in a country that spoke a different language? Anybody? Okay. Now tell me this if you spent time in a foreign country, or, and you've taken a language, uh, isn't there a difference? (laughs) Isn't there a big difference between, one, taking a language in a class for a grade or trying to survive in a country where your very life might depend on you actually knowing how to speak that language? There's a difference, isn't there? A lot more at stake in that. And sometimes, um, you know, when we get in our safe kind of environments, it's easy for us to think that, I know I took German when I was in high school and I was, I was pretty good compared to the rest of my class. Don't know that I would have lasted long in Germany, but I was pretty good in my class because when we get in those safe environments, it can be easy to convince ourselves that we may be better, more skilled at something than we, we actually are because there's nothing that really tests us, but one of the most important skills I think that we need to develop in our lives is the ability to actually make an accurate assessment, not just of our world, not just of the challenges that are out there, but actually make an accurate assessment of ourselves, of our abilities, of where we are, so that we know where we need to grow, where we need to maybe invest some time for change and for growth so that we will not only just survive in this world, but also to live a great life. You know, um, sometimes it takes being put into a very um, extreme, maybe even hostile environment for us to be forced to be honest enough to make that kind of assessment. Would you agree with that? If you're comfortable, if everything's familiar, you don't always have, you're not always forced to look at who you really are. That's what Jonah found out when he went to Nineveh. We've been looking at the story from the Old Testament, from the book of Jonah. Many of us know this as a story about the whale, but there's much more to this story than just uh, the story of Jonah ending up in the belly of the whale. Uh, we're going to look at chapter three today. So if you would stand with me as we look at God's word, Jonah chapter three, verse one through 10. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, get up and go to Nineveh, the great city and proclaim to them the message which I am about to tell you. So Jonah got up and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now we've already looked at the part of the story that he didn't and how that went. Now we're gonna go look at this story, this part of the story where he does follow what God tells him to do. Now Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to walk from one end to the other. So Jonah began to make his way through the city walking one full day, crying out loudly, in 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God's message. They called for a fast and they put on burlap in repentance and mourning from the greatest of them to the least of them. When the the message reached even the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, laid aside his royal robe, covered himself with burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. And he issued a proclamation which said in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, No person or animal, even those from the herds and the flocks, shall eat or drink anything. Rather, both people and animals must be covered with burlap, and each of us must cry out earnestly to God and turn from our wicked ways and from the violence which we do. For who knows, God may change his mind, relent, and hold back his fierce anger so that we will not be destroyed. And when God saw their response and that they turned from their wicked ways, he did relent concerning the calamity which he had declared that he would bring on them and he did not do it. You know, in Jonah's home, we've talked about this, in Jonah's home of, northern, of the northern kingdom of Israel, he saw a lot of power. He saw a lot of success in that day. They had a lot of um, affluence. They had a lot of resources, um, but they also had a lot of sin. And uh, what he saw, he saw a lot of those things, but what he didn't see was a lot of that recognition, of where they were falling short, where they were actually uh, offending God by how they lived and what they did. Um, He didn't see a lot of that. He didn't see a lot of turning, that kind of turning and turning back to God. That in the Bible is the word that means repentance. Now, you would have thought that you would have seen that, right? You would have thought that you would have seen in Israel in this, this nation that was trained by God, that was framed by God, that was established by God, you would have thought that that turning back to God would have just been a normal part of what they did. But instead, here he was in what could have been argued to be the most wicked city of the day. And he had to go there in order to see the kind of repentance, the kind of response to God, the turning back to God that caused God to turn back from the judgment he had intended. Sometimes we have to go a very long way <laughs> to very hard environments at times in order to learn the things that we really need to know if we're going to live a godly life, a, go- a life of pursuing God at home. Amen? This morning, this, this message is titled Across, Across the Ocean. Father, this morning, uh, we want to hear from you. And I know that these guys have come because they want to... Hear from you. Um, I always, God, you know, it's my prayer that the words that um, you put on my heart and you put in my mind, that they would be from you. And that if there's anything that's not from you, uh, Lord, we want to forget those things. They clutter up our minds. We get a lot of um, messages thrown at us every day. We pray that your spirit would be working in us to sift through those messages so that the only things that remain are the things that are actually of value, of worth, and not just worth in this world, but of value to you, of eternal weight, of eternal purpose. Father, that is through that word, that as it is planted deep in our hearts, as it begins to frame our mind and wash over our lives, that that would be the word that... that changes us, that transforms us, and that we would begin to every day see more and more the way that you are changing us into the likeness of Jesus, changing us into those who reflect the glory that you intended and the purposes that you meant for our lives, that we would be those that new creation, those first fruits of that new creation, that people would see the kingdom that's coming, not just the kingdom that, that fell, that is. So Father, uh, work in us this morning and do that work. We pray it for your glory, Father, because you have pursued us and loved us. Jesus, we pray it for your glory because your name is the name that's above every name. You laid down everything for us so that these things might be available to us. And we pray this in your name, Holy Spirit, for your glory as you work these things in us. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, If you you know anything about me, if you get to know me very long, you will learn that. We lived in Colorado for a while, and people always ask you, um, so do you ski? And yes, I do ski. Um, I love to ski. I don't get to do it near as much as I would like to. There's this um, dollar amount attached to it that's really prohibitive. I don't know if you guys have found that to be true, but. Um, But I ski as much as I can when, and I say that, I mean, it's not very often at all, but I love to ski. The first time I I learned how to ski, I fell in love with it, and um, I I had been invited when I was in junior high. We lived out in California. We were going to the Sierra Nevadas in Northern California, and uh, I was invited by a friend of mine to go with he and his family, and the the plan was, we didn't know this at the time, but his parents were ingenious because they just figured that way they could go ski (laughs) and we could entertain ourselves trying to ski. Um, because neither he or I knew how to ski at the time, and, we, and so um, it worked well, because we were very entertaining um, that day uh, as we tried to learn this thing. Now, there's one image that really does stand... There was so much that went on that day, but there was one image that really stands out of that day that stuck with me ever since. Um, and uh, it came about shortly after we had taken our, our first ski lesson you know, that morning to learn the basics so we could get down the hill. And we jumped on the longest uh, lift we could find that would take us as high up the mountain as we could find because we figured, you know, why not? And, um, and we're getting off the lift. And at that point in, in my day, I knew I didn't know everything and I knew I probably didn't know a whole lot about, a whole lot about skiing, right? But I, I did, I was pretty confident about three things. One, I, I knew I knew how to get on and off a lift, right? I knew I knew how to maintain and kind of control my speed down a slope. And I knew I knew how to come to a stop when I got to the bottom. And it ended up that all three of those were actually tested that that day. Um, But immediately was when we got to the top of this lift. And I look at this and it has a little bit longer slope because this was the first lift that was not the bunny slope that we had even been on. And, uh, and so I'm looking at this little slope coming off the lift and I go, well, I can, I can do this. And, and so I'm getting up and I get up kind of with all the, the confidence you know, of all the training that i have been doing that morning to do this well. And, uh, and so what I didn't know was on my way up the lift that um, I had unzipped my jacket because it was a warm spring day. You know, So I had unzipped my jacket and my camera that was in my, my coat pocket had gotten jammed between the, the arm and the seat of the lift. And so when I got off, all of a sudden, and, and the other thing was, was my hand. I was holding in my hand my two poles in my right hand and one had the safety strap on. So I get off and my jacket stayed attached. And while my left arm came easily out of the jacket, my right arm stayed attached because the poles wouldn't come through. So suddenly, as the ground drops away, I find myself more and more kind of tiptoeing on my skis. But, and, and so finally, the operator sees it, and they hit that button, you know, and it lets out like a honk or something, whatever it was this warning sounding. So everybody naturally turns to find out, oh, what stopped the lift? And they see me in all my glory hanging there, <laughs> tiptoeing on my skis, right? And um, now, obviously, I, I made it out alive because I'm here to tell the story. So they got me down. But I will always remember that split second where, where things went from, hey, I think I have the hang of this to what the heck am I doing hanging off of this, right? I mean, it's just, because it, it just, it changed you know, that quickly where all of a sudden, everything I thought I knew, right? Everything that I thought I was doing well, everything I thought I was, I was understanding in that moment, the gap between that and what really was just awesome. It showed up in, in all of its immensity, and I realized, you know, i got a lot to learn about, about skiing on that day. That is kind of how Jonah felt in that first day of Nineveh. When you look at what, what he thought he knew, what he thought he understood about God, about himself, about his nation, about others, and then when he went to Nineveh, everything got turned on its head in a moment. And quickly, if you if you understand the language of what's being said here about the whole, about this moment in in Nineveh, suddenly he finds he sees this gap between what he thought and what really was. First, what did Jonah think that he understood? Well, first, he thought he knew several things. One was that he thought he knew that Israel was God's people, right? That nation, that was God's nation. Um, especially the Northern Kingdom, you know, the Northern Kingdom of which he was a part, the Northern Kingdom, we talked about this, in which he was a recognized, he was kind of like a celebrity. He was this, this well-recognized prophet. He had a great ministry there. Um, it seemed to be this Northern Kingdom seemed to be even just maybe a cut above a little bit more God's nation than even maybe the Southern Kingdom, right? Because they were even, the Northern Kingdom, they were doing great I mean, they were above all other nations. Sure, they were the people of God, but probably even, even more so. They had this strong king. They had this strong army. They had this vibrant economy. They had more territory than they had ever known before. They had this influence in the region. They had, they had this vibrant and very, you know, this network throughout their whole region that would regularly uh, of worship. That would lift up the name of Yahweh, who was their strong God, you know, the Lord is strong and mighty, mighty in battle, the Lord, you know, on our side. That was the name they would lift up. And they had these worship centers. Um, they didn't just have one in Jerusalem, in the south, they had a couple, and they had these multiple places where people would worship in, in this way. Now, you also find that during this time the northern kingdom they were also very oppressive to the poor but they didn't they didn't pay attention to that they also you found that in these worship service or these centers the the um, the god of israel was represented by a golden bull calf much like the one that aaron had made for the people of israel when they were rebelling in the in, in the desert but but they didn't pay attention to that because things were so successful in fact Jonah probably looked at israel and said you know if God were offended at us, why are we doing so well? Right? Not like any of us have ever asked that question. Right? If if God's mad at us, why are we doing so well? We, I think, you know, that would never come to our minds in our day and age. But Jonah was thinking they must be doing something right, otherwise, why would God be blessing them in the way that He was? Second thing, Jonah thought that he knew. He knew that ungodly cities like Nineveh, you know, these and and. Filled with people like the Assyrians, you know, ungodly people like the Assyrians, you know, who worshipped uh, idols. They 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 had a god that was essentially like a fish god. They 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 were the ones who used this just regularly as they conquered. They just just unnecessarily violent people. And Jonah looks at them and he said that you know if there's one thing he knew, he knew that they couldn't possibly be on God's radar for his. For his mercy, they were just they were. If they were, if they seemed to be strong and powerful, it was almost it was only because they were so violent. It was because they were so out of control. But it it couldn't be too long before God was going to reign that in. In fact, Jonah had been used in the northern kingdom to bring the the message of their expansion and of their blessing, and and God had used him. And now it seemed that Jonah was being used to go to Nineveh and being announced their judgment that in 40 days, God was gonna lay this thing out. And so those were two things. The other thing that Jonah thought that he was, um, that he knew is that he was a great prophet, that he had brought these messages. He had brought this message of God's blessing to the north and it had come about and he was bringing this message of judgment and he was sure that was going to come about as well. So he'd seen this way that God used him and he thought, you know, God must love me, right? God must think I'm important. In fact, he, he, thought, he thought he was at that point in his relationship with God that he could even, you know, if God gives him an assignment, he could turn it down if he didn't like it. That's why he had run off Tarshish. Right, sometimes how we get so close to God and we think, well, me and God are buddies. And so God, his commands turn more into like recommendations or suggestions that I can kind of evaluate whether they work for my life or not. But all of a sudden, here he is on the ground in Nineveh. And he walks through this town and he starts carrying this message. And he sees... He sees Nineveh, this massive city, this head of an empire, I mean, this is the capital of what's going to become the first world-dominating empire ever in human history, and he sees them turn in a moment back to God in a way, and I want you to hear this, in a way that he had never seen even in his beloved northern kingdom. With all of their worship and all of their knowledge of God and all of the things that God had poured into those people, he had never seen this there. In fact, it says that he had had not even made it halfway through the city. It was three days. He had made it one day into their city, just calling out this message to whoever he could find. And then the word of mouth had taken over, and the whole city by day two was in burlap and sitting on, on piles of ashes in repentance, just wanting to know. I mean, they didn't even know what it was they had done yet. They just knew that God was mad, and they said, maybe if we repent, God will tell us how to get out of this mess. You know, there's good evidence that it says it says that they quit eating, they quit, they put their fancy clothes aside, the business is probably shut down. There's good evidence to, to suggest that when we were in the passage, it says they had turned from their wicked ways. What it's talking about is the, actually the worship of idols. They said, Let's stop even worshiping these other gods in case that's what he's offended at. Let's put these things aside. They even turned away from that. They shut down their worship centers. And when the people, they turned to this one God, they said, we gotta pay attention here. You know, we had seen that before. Even um, this became a thing in Jonah's ministry, it seems, because even when he was on that ship and it says they got in a storm and the people started out by crying out to their gods, but then by the end, they're worshiping Jonah's God. So Jonah seems to do this wherever he goes, that people turn from whatever it is, and immediately through the situation, they end up turning back to the one true God, the God of heaven and earth. And, and he sees these people, so these heathens, these, these you know, this unsuspected group, all of a sudden is turning, and they're worshiping like he had never seen people worship. They're repenting like he had never seen people repent, even in Israel, among God's people. So all of a sudden, there was this gap, right? There's suddenly, there this gap between what he thought he knew about God and about who his people were and about who his enemies were and about what he could expect from that. And that began to bring up that gap in himself where he started thinking, he started thinking then, do I in fact know who I am? Because I'm a part of this people over here too. I thought I was doing pretty well. I thought success over here is what gave me that status that showed that I was doing so well with God. And all of a sudden, that's just all been turned on his head. So am I even the person that I, I thought that I was? You know, that's a horrible revelation to come to, isn't it? I don't know if that's ever happened to you guys where you've come to that point where you just start, you start realizing, man, there's a, who I thought I was with God, especially, and who I find myself to be. There's a huge gap between those two. Who I thought I was is, is nothing like who I find myself to be. You know, when, when we come to the, the, the point that, we, that those who we assumed are God's favored people, that we thought would be so inclined to hear God are actually less inclined to hear God less inclined to turn back, less inclined to follow what he's calling them to do than even what we, would, what we had assumed were like irredeemable, godless heathens on the outside. That was shocking. You know, Jesus said something like that in his own ministry. He was out, he was teaching and he was doing miracles and it says he went to the towns where most of his miracles had happened and these were the towns where, around Galilee where he had grown up. In fact, one was even the center of his ministry. He had kind of his, his home base of Capernaum. And so it says in Matthew eleven twenty 20 through 21, Jesus began to chastise the cities in which most of his miracles had taken place Because they didn't repent. And not just that they didn't start weeping and falling down and feeling bad, but because they repent just means they didn't turn back. They didn't turn around from whatever it was they were doing. They didn't see these miracles and turn back and say, oh, we need to turn back to God. It says that he said to them, woe to you, Chorazin, for and woe to Bethsaida, because if the miracles that occurred in you had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Tyre and Sidon had been this great kingdom of, of merchants and ships and stuff, and they'd just been laid out by, by Alexander uh, the great. And, and he said, it would have been more tolerable for them. They'd still be here if they had... If they had seen what you had seen. It says, woe to you, Capernaum. This is his home base for his ministry. You will not ascend to heaven, but instead will descend into the grave, into Hades. For if the miracles that occurred in Sodom had occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. If there is a, if there is a uh, name that's associated with godless city, In the Old Testament, our godless region is Sodom and Gomorrah, and it says, nevertheless, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. That's that's pretty bad. And why? It says because they didn't repent. They didn't, like, like Jonah, they thought they knew how things were laid out. They thought they knew where they stood. They were in their kind of their familiar surroundings. They, they thought that they were God's chosen people. They thought, that they thought that it was the Romans and the Gentiles and the tax collectors and the sinners, that those were the ones that needed to repent. In fact, they thought that they were probably beyond repentance and what God was gonna do is he was just gonna lay them out, kind of like what Jonah was hoping with the Ninevites, right? With the Assyrians. He was just gonna take them out so that Israel could rise up and God's people, the ones that we were, our team, you know, would be the winners you know, in Jonah's day it was Jonah's people who needed to repent but it wasn't until God brought Jonah to Nineveh and showed them how quickly how quickly the people that he assumed would didn't care a thing about God how quickly they would turn that he saw how hard the hearts of God's own people were you guys that's the warning That's the message of the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is actually, it's read on the last, it is the last reading in the Jewish customs, um, is the last reading of the day of Yom Kippur, which is the last of 10 days of the days of awe, which are the days of repentance that really start out kind of they begin you on this year that and this is the last reading why because it's, it's a book about repentance and a call not to Nineveh not to the Assyrians not to the heathens but to God's people to turn back to God to not get so arrogant that we think that we have it all together so what's the message in this for us well I don't know I mean I don't know what nation can you think of what people can you think of that consider themselves maybe to be just a cut above, you know, as, as God's favorite people at times, All right? Even kind of declare themselves to be that in the world. What, what people in your day, um, you know, in our day, might consider, them, uh, consider ourselves to be just a little bit more righteous than, than most as a nation who have, and, and we, I say we, giving it away, All right? Because we have a strong army. Because we have a vibrant economy. Because we, we look and we say, well, we must be doing something right because otherwise, would God, why would God bless us? Right? Because we have more territory and more influence. We have, we have other countries that are seeking our help and that actually is like paying tribute to us in that the fact that they use, you know, our, our currency is used as a currency of exchange throughout the world. We must be doing something right? Right? and we, we think that we have it figured out and yet and, and we have <laughs> and we have this vibrant right series of all these places of worship and every week they lift up regularly the name of the God and Savior of the world now let's not let's not pay attention to the the fact that often in those same places we we find that we're not just worshiping Jesus, but we're worshiping things like we're worshiping things like consumerism or money or sex or materialism or or nationalism. We're we're worshiping you know, things alongside of God. Let's not let's not pay attention to that. Let's not let's just kind of ignore the fact that that really there are times that we we just ignore the poor the marginalized, except if they're somehow brought to be kind of a fad in our day. We, we tend to take care of the marginalized as, as a matter of um, kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, the, it's kind of the flavor of the month, right? We take up causes. Let's not pay attention to the fact that we use, um, we often are the ones who are using violence and oppression and deceit secrecy to get our things uh, passed, to get things by, that we use. We have, gosh, you read Facebook and you see some of the most violent language that you'll ever find as people interact with those who just don't agree with them. We find some of the uh, the images that we'll post and that we'll paste on places like TikTok and Instagram. Um. I don't know. I mean, might God be talking to us? Might we have something to learn here? Might we have something to learn about what it really means to be the people of God? And also, might we have something to learn about those who we've labeled as those who are irredeemable or heathens or those who are far from God? Might we have something to learn about ourselves who have considered ourselves to be maybe the prophetic people of God? speak in his name. And yeah, there have been great things that God has done in us and through us. But might it be that we too have a hard heart and God is calling us to repent from those things that are all tangled up in this worship, in this following of God. You know, I I wanna give us a, a, a definition of repentance that I think can be helpful as we We as a church seek to follow after God as we seek to chase him and be his people here at Christ Church. Repentance, I want you to hear this. Repentance is that place in our hearts and in our minds where we go before God. And we accurately assess that gap that stands between who we're called to be and who we really are. Repentance is that place where we go before God and we accurately assess that gap that stands between who he calls us to be and who we really are. And we throw ourselves on his mercy. You know, in James, it says, it says that um, if we would confess our sins to one another, right, that he would heal us. That's what he's talking about. The, the church It's supposed to be that community that comes together, the community of those people that say, you know what, this is who God's calling me to be. This is who I am. And so I come together with the rest of you who know who you are and who you're called to be. And we seek God's mercy together. We seek his transformation together. We seek his power that works in us and through us that makes us more like Jesus. We seek it together because we know who we are that we give up our boasting of all the great things that we've done, and, and, and we give up all those things that the world says, oh, it's okay, you can do that and still follow Jesus. We give all that up. All those culturally permissible things. And, and you guys, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, there are those things that when you go to God, he says very clearly, he says, you know what? I want you to live a life that reflects me in this way. And we go out in among our friends and even sometimes in our church and we and we find people say, oh, don't worry about that. That doesn't matter. But then we go back to God and he says, yeah, it does. And we say, we go back here and then, no, not quite. And so we go, okay, so we're, it's like this, the kids down here, which way are you going to turn? Because if we turn this way, God keeps coming back to us and say, Are you sure you don't want to turn back? Repent, turn back, right? Three things. Three things that I think that we can take away from this, this passage here. The first is this. You guys, um, we need to learn the lesson of Jonah. It's not just a story about being swallowed by a whale. It's not just a story about, the lesson of Jonah is this, is that the evidence of our godliness, the proof of godliness, is not found in the tally of our successes, right? Instead, it's found in the tenderness of our souls to God when he speaks. That's it. Isaiah 66.2 says, To this one I will look, to the one who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. We need to ask, is, is that us? Are we God's people that gather and throw ourselves upon his mercy and who tremble at his word? Second, if God gives you an ocean to cross, right? Or maybe it's a... Maybe it's a, a chasm of unforgiveness that he calls you to cross. Or maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's a cultural divide that he calls you to cross. Or, or maybe it's just he calls you to cross the street and it makes you feel uncomfortable in what he's calling you to do. Realize that he may be bringing you into a place of discomfort so he can teach you something that you will never learn at home. So go. Because God is constantly about changing us into the people He has intended for us to be and to get us out of our just our comfort and our just kind of laziness of sitting where we are right now. Because we need to be more like Jesus. And if we don't go, we won't grow. We won't. Third is this, and I want to end on a happy note maybe because this got a little heavy. Did you see what happened at Nineveh? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that, right? Thousands of people turned to God because Jonah went, one guy goes and just says what God wanted him to say. It didn't even, you take the message he spoke and what they did and you're going... I wouldn't see the connection, right? I wouldn't necessarily see that this would lead to that. But who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Do you guys realize that God, as he works relentlessly to save this this world, eight billion people, that he is about doing astounding things to accomplish that. And he invites us into that if we will be his people, if we will go and speak what he has asked us to speak, go to those uncomfortable places he asks us to go, he says, we will find that we are in the midst sometimes of these astounding works of God that we cannot even explain. And who wouldn't wanna be a part of that? Right? Who wouldn't want to see your family turn towards Jesus, who wouldn't want to see your neighborhood of those who are just, who wouldn't want to see that, that, that person and just an individual that you know and you know their life is just imploding and falling apart and just see them, God just put all that back together as they turn to him. Who wouldn't want to see that? Nineveh got like a new lease on life. They, they lasted another generation because of what Jonah, what God accomplished through Jonah. So yes, we need to learn this lesson of Jonah. Yes, we need to go where God tells us to go. But also, know what God's calling you into. This is an exciting thing, that, I mean, exciting, just fulfilling life that God has called us into. Wouldn't it be great to see that <laughs> you know, that's where God is, and that's why we go. It's all about turning, right? It's all about turning and turning back to what God had called us to even sometimes in the first place. He's calling us. I know that even this morning, he's talking to some of us today, just saying, turn back, just turn back to it. You'll find that same glory, that same power, that same, you'll find the the power of God at work in you and through you, if we just turn back. Amen?